Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. You know, it's interesting, Danny just mentioning this William Nylander and uh, the clock is ticking by 5 o'clock tomorrow. Either something is done here to sign him or potentially sign and trade him or uh, he misses out on the year. But I just find it interesting because all the talk about William Nylander and what's going to happen in the next, uh, I don't know, dozen hours, uh, 23 hours, I guess, actually, makes the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement the second most important trade deal on the Canadian horizon, doesn't it? Uh, Seriously, and this is something that has far-reaching implications and consequences because uh, it was signed earlier today. Highly ceremonial because it still has to be ratified through uh, different levels, including in Mexico. I guess they got a new president coming in any day now. So uh, let's find out what the implications are of this uh, trade deal or as the signing today went so to speak uh there was even an interesting sidebar story to it mark warner has joined us on the line toronto lawyer whose practice focuses on international trade mark good to have you back in the oakley show hi there hi there it's uh thanks for having me on so uh the ceremonial signing takes place and then there was this picture i guess where uh trump and peña nieto uh the mexican president are holding up the agreement justin decided not to did you read anything into that um, not really. I mean, I, I think the optics aren't great, obviously, because Trump's not p- so popular in Canada. So um, it, I don't I don't think that uh, that had any great significance. Probably more significant is is his uh, raising the issue of the um, aluminum and steel tariffs for good reason. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how tr- I don't think Trump likes to be shown up that dramatically right in front of him. So uh, that probably more than the not holding up the paper is the more significant uh, event from the, the theatrics of today. Yeah, he didn't look impressed uh, when uh, Justin did bring up the steel and the aluminum stuff, So, uh, like he was being impudent by saying that, uh, because he tied that into the GM closure in a fashion. Right. Uh, I mean, do you lend credence to that idea, the steel tariffs and the aluminum tariffs have a lot to do with uh, whether manufacturing stays in Canada? Well, I don't think it's the main factor in terms of the GM closure. I mean, the, the Oshawa plant we've known was a problem, you know, going back 10 years ago when I was in the Ontario government negotiating the, uh, you know, doing the legal work around the restructuring of GM and Chrysler. So we knew that. And it was also an issue with the um, last negotiation of the collective agreement with GM. So, but I do think GM and, and Ford have said that they've, uh, they, they've incurred costs of about a billion dollars each just uh, in terms of the added costs from the aluminum and steel tariffs. But from the American point of view, um, not that we want to look at it from that point of view, once Trump goes down the road of these national security tariffs, it's very hard to pull Canada out because we're such a major uh, supplier of steel and aluminum. He can't do that. So what you have to do and what the Mexicans are probably going to do is negotiate some form of a quota. And up until now, the Canadian position is, no, no, we don't want to negotiate any kind of a quota we just want you to lift it. And frankly, that's just not going to happen. So you know, mm. I, I think from Trump's point of view is, okay, Justin, I, I've, I've given you the out here and I've given you a face saving out. So take it. And so, but, but obviously we're a year away from an election 
and perhaps the opportunity to do that is just too great for a Canadian Prime Minister, especially coming on the week of the closure of Oshawa. Well, and then you've got this issue, I guess Congress still has to ratify it. It won't be done any time before the new year and the Congress is sworn in, and it's leaned now to the Democrats in the House anyway. And, uh, you know, even on border states, some senators, I guess, would favor, uh, you know, lowering tariffs and things because, as you said, we're inextricably tied in with their economy and they with ours. Uh, so what is your sense? Do you think their, their Congress is going to pass this? deal you know i i think i think so we have there's always the 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 drama in the background surrounding you know the Mueller investigation and impeachment and we'll have to wait and see a little bit of whether the democrats are are going to are prepared to do any work with trump or whether they're going to give him any victory or not but i i would say this although this particular uh, revision to nafta we're calling it usmca or USMACA, although it builds on the architecture of nafta there are two or three considerable ways where um, Trump achieved things that perhaps no other Democrat president, whether Obama or Clinton, would have been able to. And one is, you know, having the rules of origin on autos have a certain portion tied to the wage rate in Mexico of $16. I mean, that is a dream for all of the union and left-wing activists uh, in the United States. Also getting rid of the investor state dispute settlement system, which has always been sort of, you know, a totem for the left. So I think it's going to be very hard for Democrats to actually vote en masse against um, uh, this, uh, this deal when it actually comes up for a vote. So we'll have to wait and see. Nancy Pelosi, the new incoming speaker, presumed incoming speaker, she'll have a lot of say in terms of when it comes, comes up to a vote. But Trump probably only needs to get about 20 or 30 Democrats and remember, we're so used to our parliamentary system where the prime minister basically calls all the shots. That's not how it works in Congress. Um, 20 or 30 re- uh, Democrats from border states will probably cross over, in my judgment, and vote with the Republicans to pass this, would be my guess. But when it, the question is, when does that happen? Probably not the spring, but probably before you get into the real American election season in the fall. Is that because they sense this is a winner for them? Trump actually won this one? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you know, as I said, the, 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 on the labor issues, first of all, they want NAFTA. And I think, I think the, 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 a lot of the border state people know that Trump's not just going to sit there and say, okay, Nancy, you beat me. Okay, he won this round. Let's go on and do something else. He'll cancel the existing NAFTA. That's always been his threat, and that's what he'll do. And yes, you know, it could be some litigation around whether he has the authority to do that. But everything we've seen of Donald Trump since he came to power, in my judgment, is he's willing to test the limits of his executive authority, whether it's on immigration or defense or whatever it is. And my guess is if Congress were to, were to vote this down or threaten to vote it down, he would just say, okay, I'll get rid of the existing NAFTA. And then that's a mess. And I can't imagine that Democrats on border states, whether it's the northern border or the southern border, would like that. So that's why I think once the dancing is over, they're going to try, you know, before the legislation goes, without getting too far into the weeds here, before the legislation is actually presented to Congress, there's kind of a period for the president to draft what's called the implementing bill, and it's something called the Statement of Administrative Action. And so I think part of what we're seeing right now is the dance from the Democrats about what can go into that without necessarily re- renegotiating the agreement. And, of course, in Canada, when we look at that, we're, we're, we're hanging on every word. So we think that it's, you know, sink or swim, you know, mm. based on everything that's going on. But this, I think, is the regular process of how legislation works in a Congress as opposed to a parliament uh, where the prime minister basically gets whatever he wants. Again, with Mark Warner, Toronto lawyer whose practice focuses on international trade. Speaking of Trump, you know, he does throw his weight around and... Uh 
For example, when General Motors announced earlier this week they're pulling out of Oshawa, also stateside in two crucial states to the Republicans and to Donald Trump, as we know, Ohio and Michigan. And uh, he said uh, rather clearly, GM, you better damn well put something back in that plant in Ohio, because this is central to, you know, how Ohio goes, so goes the presidency. Right. Uh, do you think General Motors would pay heed to him saying those kinds of things, or how does he back that up? I mean, it's a threat. It's rather clear about that. Yeah. Well, I think I think it had some effect, because, uh, the, the, you know, within about 24 hours of the initial GM announcement, uh, GM sort of changed its messaging from being, we're going to, what they call, unallocate the following plants uh, in uh, Michigan and Ohio, to saying, Oh, well, well, their future will be determined in the process of the collective negotiation, which is to start in 2019. So I think somewhere in there um, that we'll end up finding that some of the, one, at least one of those plants will end up being reconfigured in some form before it's all said and done, is my guess. Um, they have more ability to do that, I think, than we do in terms of the Oshawa plant. But, but even there, I think my, 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 my guess on the Oshawa plant is if both levels of government, Ontario and Canada, and the union were able to, were willing to make concessions of the kind that GM was willing to hear, um, that they could probably have a conversation in Canada. I just think GM knows from the bitter experience of 10 years ago in negotiating around the restructuring that that's very unlikely that either level of government and the union, Unifor, would actually even come within their ballpark. You know, uh, and yet I might... Uh suggest otherwise and pardon me i mean it's not my beat but you know my spidey sense tells me that this could be a uh, political play on the part of general motors i mean if they're going into electric vehicles and autonomous and jobs are considered to be the new currency what politician would want to be losing jobs or they could boast that they've actually created or saved them if uh gm says yeah you know what maybe we will upon second consideration if the conditions or the climate's right build some of these vehicles here in oshawa i think you'd have have uh, both levels of government stepping up. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the Oshawa plant is also, from what I understand, just also really, really big. And so it's, it's built to operate on a scale. So it would be kind of hard to do that there, at least not on the full, the full sort of footprint. But, you know, it's, it's possible if people were to go there. I, I just think the, that what makes it harder in the Canadian context is GM has, you know, lots of thoughts about just the, the cost of doing business in Canada around autos. And that relates to energy and frankly, just the labor rate from Unifor. So I think the package of concessions that would have to be made in Canada would would be sizable and significant. Uh, All right. Uh, you know, something else I wanted to ask you about, too. I mean, Donald Trump has thrown the gauntlet down at China, and uh, this trade thing has far-reaching implications. I don't know if it's to our benefit uh, as a country where, you know, we'd uh, get into a, you know, the Trans-Pacific thing would be extended into China's area. Uh what do you make of that? I mean, is this uh, a war that uh, a trade war that uh, will you know leave a lot of people uh, collateral damage, or is it something Trump can win for the Americans? Well, it's it's tough. I mean, obviously the Chinese have the, a Chinese leader has a longer time horizon in power so far than the typical American president does. Um, but you know, for Canada, I think what we have to decide is is whose side we're going to be on. Obviously, most of our trade is now with the United States. They are really going to be locked in to this war with China. My guess is, regardless of who's president of the United States, this was going to happen, because there's just a lot of opinion across the political spectrum in the United States that China has not played fair. And so we're going to have to really be careful in how, how we do this. Um, um, and the Americans do have the sense that, uh, that, they, they, that whether it comes to uh, intellectual property or 
the treatment of the Chinese state-owned multinationals that, uh, that, that they're not trading on fair terms. So I, I think that, um, you know, if we want to go our separate ways, that's going to be very difficult uh, to plot our own way with China. Uh, and I know that's something that the government, Canadian government has wanted to do. I just think the, the scope for doing that is really limited. Well, isn't there also an issue within this, uh, you know, follow-up to NAFTA, the USMCA, uh, in the fine print, that the, um, the United States gets to vet any trade deal that we do outside of this tripartite arrangement here. Yeah, I, I think that there is that. That was added in, um, in, in when we saw the first draft on October 1st. And that, you know, as a practical matter, my guess is before you do a deal with your largest customer, your largest trading partner, you probably would have a conversation. I know that that's got a lot of people upset. What's interesting, I think, is that it was, uh, within the change between October 1st and, and today, the agreement that was actually signed today, um, to my mind, that that term has been watered down a little bit, uh, and not getting too technical, but it seems that before it said that basically if any one country um, treated China essentially as a non-market economy, um, then that was enough to trigger the obligation to consult. And I think that it's at least arguable the way it's written today is that it really depends on whether the country that wants to consult, in our case Canada, treats the country as a non-market economy for anti-dumping laws and that sort of thing. So that could mean that a Canadian government could argue that we don't actually have to trigger 3210. It's kind of a pyrrhic victory because if the other side, which is 10 times our size, thinks that we have a duty to consult and we say, no, we don't have a duty to consult, <laughs> and you're dealing with an erratic president like Trump who likes to threaten to get out of agreements, I don't really see where that leads you. So if this thing is uh, finally ratified by Congress and the, the Mexican president, the new guy coming in, Will we see any material change, and if so, how soon? I mean, price of milk going to go down, uh, eggs, poultry, that kind of thing? Anything of uh, consequence? I don't, I don't really think so, because largely it is, you know, from a Canadian point of view, it largely is based on NAFTA. Some of the stuff that has changed is, uh, you know, the digital, the, around the digital uh, trade features in terms of where you can share, uh, store your data. So we'll, we, we might notice that in terms of uh, some of the rules where, you know, we're used to seeing, American tech companies that want to use uh, store customer obtaining customer data in the U.S. and although even the you have to really get into the fine print on this stuff. Pharma project products will probably go up in price because we've agreed to uh, a longer term of data exclusivity on what's called biologics or biological generic drugs. Um, but on the other hand, we'll probably get greater variety of biologic drugs because, frankly, a lot of American companies would probably not supply Canada as as uh, as, as to the extent that they have in the past if we didn't go along with what uh, what uh, the Americans have asked for in relation to pharma, pharmaceutical products. So we'll probably see some price increases there. But for the most part, I think um, this was really a defensive agreement, and Canada more or less defended itself uh, adequately. Adequately, okay. Uh, we'll take that as a victory in this day and age. <laughs> Mark, I appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. Same to you. Thanks for having me on. All right, Mark Warner, Toronto lawyer whose practice focuses on international trade. So Justin didn't hold up the agreement. Trump got pissed. I mean, he's sort of got a chip on his shoulders anyway, doesn't he? Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 